Sorry about that. All right, let's pray before we begin. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this morning, and thank you, Lord, for this psalm. Uh, Father, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit this morning so that we might know you, so that we might have you as a, as a source of courage for us. Uh, even when armies and adversaries are against us, Lord, we pray that we would find shelter in you. So, Lord, help me preach this morning. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to take these truths in Psalm 27, and, and we pray, Lord, by your spirit, you would, you would uh, put them deep within our hearts. Be with us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, it was 2020, April of 2020, and I was the director of advancement for Peak 7 Ministries here in Spokane. And Peak 7 is a ministry that, that seeks to take high school students out on wilderness adventures in the hope of introducing young people to Jesus Christ. Well, in April of 2020, as you might remember, the, the lockdowns, the COVID lockdowns had just begun. And uh, we found at Peak 7 that they needed to, um, to lay off all of kind of the critical staff, the, to down to the bare essentials. And uh, in early May, I received a call from the executive director, and apparently I was not a bare essential for uh, Peak 7 Adventures. Now, you know, I did expect that in April. I thought, oh, this is not going to go well for us, because we weren't taking any trips whatsoever uh, over the summertime. And though I expected it, when I actually heard the news, uh, my, my courage just melted away. You know, I was fearful of course, when you're scared, your mind always goes to the worst-case scenarios. You know, I'm going to lose the house. We're going to have to move away from friends and family. I, I'd pass by people who were asking for money on the street, and I'm like, uh, I guess that's going to be me in a couple of months. Uh, but my mind was actually really going there. It was not judgmental towards those folks. I was like, okay, you and me, we're going to be standing together. Now, that fear that lack of courage really drew me to Psalm 27. Uh, and what originally attracted to me, uh, me to Psalm 27 was the last couple of verses. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You know, I, I lacked courage. I, I wanted it desperately. I was really tired of uh, being shaken, so shaken by the circumstances in life because the truth is, when one problem gets resolved, which it will, there's always another issue. There's always another challenge after that one. And I was tired of going through that roller coaster of fear and, uh, and, and really, I was pleading with the Lord to help me. And so I camped out on Psalm 27. I thought about it. I memorized it. And it really grew in me a desire to have a relationship with the Lord uh, such that when I faced difficulties, um, I could respond with the courage that David had. And so uh, the theme of this morning's message is finding courage in God. And we're going to explore David's courage from Psalm 27 in three points this morning. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at the portrayal of David's courage, portrayal, not betrayal, portrayal of David's courage, the procurement of David's courage, how did he get it, and then the product of David's courage. So let's begin. How might David's courage be portrayed? Well, first of all, David's courage was grounded 
in his relationship with God. Uh, Look at verse 1 with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, it's significant here uh, how David describes his relationship with the Lord. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. You know, for David, the Lord was not just a source of light for him. For David, one source of light among many. It, the Lord was his light. Uh, the Lord was not just a source of salvation for David, uh, one source among many. The Lord is his salvation. There was no other source of light and salvation for David uh, that David was looking to. The Lord was really it for him. Now, And it's interesting here in this verse how um, David connects light, the idea of light, with salvation. Uh, Charles Spurgeon describes the connection between light and salvation like this. The Lord must be the light by which the way of life is made plain to us. Let me, let me read that again. The Lord must be the light by which the way of life is made plain to us. The light by which we may see to walk in that way. The light that exposes the darkness of sin. The light by which we can discover the hidden sins of our own hearts. When he is thus our light, then he is our salvation also. Now for David, the Lord was also his stronghold and fortress that he ran to. Now in Israel, there are many fortresses, there are many strongholds that kings might run to. Um, But for David, even though there were a lot of strongholds available, the Lord was ultimately his stronghold. Uh, It was the only one that existed for David. Now, could you imagine the courage that you would have if if your light, if your salvation, if your stronghold were always with you? You know, now this is sort of a, maybe a lame illustration, but you know, have you seen the commercials of those wearable airbags? Has anybody seen those? I was wondering how many did. I guess they, you, yeah, it's a little vest and it's a little airbag and when it senses that you tip over, it automatically deploys. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube. It's hilarious. All right. Well, in a way, the Lord was like that for David. Uh, the Lord was with David wherever he went. It, David's courage was completely grounded in, in um, in his relationship with the Lord. So let me ask you this morning. What's your courage grounded in? Where do you run when life circumstances take a uh, turn? Uh, if If your courage is grounded in some worldly factor, maybe maybe some possession that you have, maybe some relationship that you have, Maybe, maybe, a, maybe status or position that you have. I can guarantee you that it, at some point in your life, whatever it is that's from the earth that you're putting your security in will be taken away. And, and it's a grace. That's a wonderful thing. It we'll get to later. Um, but I think the Lord wants something so much more for you and I 
something, something much more permanent, something much more secure, really something much more beautiful, a, a source of courage that will, that will never fail us. And, and this leads to the second portrayal of David's courage. He was, he was courageous regardless of the circumstances. Uh, look again with me at verse 1. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, he says, whom shall I fear and whom shall I be afraid? Those are really rhetorical questions. And the answer is, for David, no one. And, and look at the nature of how he was threatened uh, in verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. You know, his adversaries assail him. They threaten to eat up his flesh. In verse 12, a little bit later, it says that false witnesses are breathing out violence against David. You know, from these verses, we realize that David was not just facing, you know, emotional damage from his adversaries. These were not microaggressions against David. He was really facing the threat of bodily injury and death. And it wasn't just one person or a small group of people, he was facing entire armies that were coming against him, rallying against him in his kingdom. And, and the threat for David, his entire reign of warfare was very, very real. He was either in a war, recovering from a war, or preparing for the next war. That's what David was doing. You know, consider verse three, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. You know, I want that kind of supernatural courage that comes from my relationship with the Lord, that even an army would not uh, throw me into fear. Now, I remember back when I was a teacher at Medical Lake High School, um, we had just gone to war with Iraq, and, and my students, many of their parents were uh, in the military, and they were genuinely afraid. Uh, they, were, they were uncertain how long their parents would be gone. They were worried about their own safety, their parents' safety. You know, and I, and I think we need to recognize that the, the peace of this world is, is very, very uncertain. It's very tenuous. You know, could you imagine hypothetically uh, if China invaded Taiwan and we went to war with China? You know, in a day, in an afternoon, our world would change permanently. And all the things we concern ourselves with in this world would really pale in comparison to that concern. And that's the world that we live in. You know, David faced the same threats nearly his entire reign. And how was it that David was, David was able to be courageous even under the threat of war? Which, which leads us to our second point. Um, we examine the portrayal of David's courage. Now let's explore the procurement of David's courage. How did he get there? And we have some clues from Psalm 27 that can help us during times of difficulty. So... Now, the blessing is this just didn't happen for David. It wasn't like a zap you have courage. Uh, so praise the Lord for that. But God worked in his life over years to, to create a man who relied on him alone. And so from Psalm 27, we have, some, we have some clues as to how God did this. So first, 
David's courage was procured by making God his dwelling place. His courage was procured by making God his dwelling place. Look at verse 4 with me. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, last Thursday, I got back from a trip uh, uh, with nine of our high school young men. Uh, we, we hiked a section of the Pacific Crest Trail if anybody's familiar with that, south of White Pass, over Goat Rocks, and over onto Mount Adams. You know, I spent six days dwelling um, in a tent, sleeping on the ground. And sleeping on the ground is not the same thing as sleeping in your nice warm bed. The, the quality is, is not quite there. And, and I realized very quickly with all of these young, athletic, strong young men that my body is not the same body that I had when I was in my 30s or 40s. Uh, the climb up to Goat Rocks uh, in Mount Hood were, were actually quite brutal for me. Uh, so, and so I led off the time just to say, okay guys, I wanna keep you safe. So I'm gonna go slow. <laughs> so, now, ultimately, I dwelled on the Pacific Crest Trail for a week for two reasons. Uh, first, I wanted to see the Lord work in the lives of these young men. I wanted to be near the Lord when he was at work. I wanted to be close to him. Uh, but also, Goat Rocks in Mount Hood are beautiful. And you see things that most people will never, ever see like rock falls on Mount Hood. Remember that, guys? Huge rock falls that make the whole valley rumble. And you just don't see those. But there's beauty up there that, like I can endure that for a while because of that beauty. You know, similarly, David wanted to be near God. Not just to visit for a time, but to actually dwell with him. You know, for David... Uh, dwelling in the house of the Lord was much more desirable for him even than dwelling in his own palace, which was, which was I'm sure, much greater than, his, than the uh, temple. Um, he wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord to gaze upon his beauty. Now, which begs the question, what is the beauty of the Lord? Like, why did David want to go there what was so compelling about being near God in his beauty that David would want to live his entire life there? Um, I'm sure it's partly because of the beauty of the temple itself or the tabernacle itself, but really that the beauty of the tabernacle is just a small reflection of God's beauty. You know, God's beauty is bound up with his character. You know, we know what God is like based on his attributes. And it's sort of like a rainbow. You know, I teach chem chemistry and chemical reactions. You know, very often they produce light and we describe the light with Roy G. Biv. How many have heard that in your science classes? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. You know, now, those colors in and of themselves are beautiful, but when placed side by side with one another, they actually combine to form white light or they form other things that are beautiful, like rainbows. 
You know, God is like that. God is holy. Holiness is beautiful. God is merciful. Mercy is a beautiful, beautiful thing. God is truth. Truth is beautiful. God is just. Justice is beautiful. God is loving. Love is beautiful. All these truths about God, taken as a whole, are the beauty of the Lord that David saw, that he understood, that he longed to be near. And, it, and the beauty of the Lord surpasses anything else that this world has to offer. You know, in teaching the, um, the crossroads, my heart is that the, our, our high schoolers and middle schoolers would see the beauty of the Lord, see the incredible value of Christ. And, and if they would cherish him, if they would see that or even get a picture of that, then it's not about, okay, don't do this, don't do that. It's really about what you cherish. And if you cherish Christ, then those things are going to pale in comparison. You're going to follow him. Now, David's lifelong ambition was to be near God in all his beauty. Now, but David didn't just need to go to the tabernacle to be near God. Look at verses 5 and 6. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Now David is partly talking about the temple here, but he's also talking about another tent. Another shelter, another dwelling place, one that traveled with David wherever he went. You know, the picture here is a, is a beautiful picture. So imagine an army, uh, a camp, encamped and ready to go out to war. In the center of that camp is a pavilion. Uh, would be the pavilion where the king would stay, a, a shelter specifically set aside for the king. What David is saying here is that God is a king that is present with his people in times of trouble. God is pavilioned in the center of his people during the most difficult times. And David understood that. Now, let me ask you, we, we all dwell somewhere. We all dwell and my question to you is, do you dwell with God on a daily basis, on a, on a moment-to-moment basis? Do you have access to that power and courage that only he can give that lasts, that is lasting? You know, or, or do you check in once a week? And some of us do that, and from time to time that's true of me as well. Uh, or do you check in when, only when things get bad? You know, I, if that's you today, or God is convicting you of the fact that you're, you're not dwelling with him on a day-to-day or even moment-to-moment basis, uh, confess that to the Lord. Say, Lord, change my heart so that I would dwell with you, truly dwell with you all the time. You know, it is a prayer that God in his grace loves to answer. 
So besides making God his dwelling place, how else did David procure courage? Well, uh, David's courage was procured through joyful obedience. Uh, Look at verse 8 with me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now, Now, what an encouragement this is that God wants you to know him. And it's inferred here that he wants to be found. Now, could you imagine God saying to someone, seek my face, and then, but having no intention to be found? It, it would sort of be like, for me, as a chemistry teacher, saying to a student, you know, hey, come on, I know you're having trouble. Come up after school, and I'll give you a hand. And then when they show up, I say, oh, it wasn't really intended to help you. you know, now, we might be like that. I might be like that. But God is not like that. When he says, seek my face, he intends for us to find him. And I love David's immediate response. As soon as David hears the call, he responds, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Now, it is significant that David is responding to God and he's he's responding from the heart. Now, while I was getting my master's degree down at WSU, I had kind of a neat opportunity. Part of my thesis research uh, required me to take blood samples from patients undergoing bypass surgery, open heart surgery. And, uh, and so I got to sit in on several open heart bypass surgeries, uh, you know, where a team of doctors would kind of reroute clogged arteries and things like that. Um, and, and the truth is, very skilled and trained team of doctors do the work while the person is essentially dead. Their heart is not even beating during a bypass surgery. They're, they're cli- they call that clinical death. They are clinically dead. And there's no, uh, there's no way a person could do heart surgery on their own. It would be an impossibility. You know, in the same way, God is the only one uh, who can repair a disobedient in sinful heart, a heart that turns to other things for courage instead of turning to him. Now, let me ask you, when you lack courage, is your heart inclined to seek the Lord for it? Or, or is there something else in the way that your heart has a tendency of turning to more? You know, what the Lord said to David, he says to you and me as well. And he says it every day, seek my face. And he intends to give you courage if you seek him with all your heart. Second uh, Chronicles 16.9 says, uh, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong, to, uh, strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Now, I like the way the NIV puts it in the NASB. And I think it's a more accurate translation. The NIV says, to those who, whose hearts are fully committed to him. The NASB says, to those whose hearts are completely or wholly his. You know, what an incredible promise for us in seeking courage from God. And again, if your heart is not there, and at times my heart is not there, if it's, not, if it's looking to other things for courage, plead with God to change your heart. That's what God does. He is a master surgeon. He can change a heart that is made of stone 
and replace it with a heart that is made of flesh. And only he can do that. So we saw David procured courage because he dwelled with God. He was joyfully obedient. Well, finally, how else from Psalm 27 did David uh, procure courage? Well, David's courage was procured by pleading to God for rescue. And we see this in verses 9 through 12. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but David's tone changes significantly from uh, verses 6 to 7 through 11. You know, he goes from singing and shouting for joy in verse 6 to crying out to God for help in verses 9 through 11. So he he seemingly moves from a place of fear, uh, from courage to a place of fear, even in the same psalm. And and some people have actually suggested that uh, verses 7 through 11 were, were sort of cut and paste from another psalm, actually a psalm of lament, uh, but I don't think so. I think what we're seeing is David as he's wrestling f- with God for courage. You know, there was nowhere else that David was going for courage. It, it, it was purely the Lord. And David knew, okay, Lord, if you don't come through with, for me, then I'm going to be sunk. And so I think that's what we're seeing here. He's saying, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn me away in anger. Don't don't cast me off. Don't forsake me. Don't give me up to the will of my adversaries. And those are all prayers of someone who is saying, okay, you've got to come through for me. And so that's what we're seeing is really we have a firsthand, a ringside seat to David's heart as he's pleading with God for deliverance. Now, these verses, um, well, fear and anxiety, we think are, are sinful, and to a certain point that they are. Um, but they're not, they're emotions that aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves for a season. And, and what I mean by that is this. In, in some way, they're a great blessing. They're sort of like pain. Now, on the, on the trail this week, I, I experienced uh, pain quite a bit. And, and actually, that pain was a, a great blessing for me. My, my ankles hurt, both ankles. My right knee was bothering me all the time. Um, my back, my lower back, I, I, was, I was pretty much a mess. Just saying, Lord, please give me strength to get through this day, and then the next day, and then the next day. But you know, that, that discomfort, though, was really a gift, and pain is that way, that something needs to be attended to. Okay, my ankles are bad, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tighten my laces just a little bit more. My knee is, is being all wonky. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of protect it. Well, pain for you and I, or discomfort, or anxiety and fear, is like that. It's your heart saying to you, fear and anxiety, you have got a problem. You are fearful. You need to take it to the Lord. 
And so in that way, it's a good thing. Living in fear and anxiety is not a good thing. But, but listening to fear and anxiety, it's, the, it's a gift from the Lord saying, um, seek me. Trying to woo you to himself. Now, here's a question. Uh, what do you run to when you face difficult circumstances? You know, sometimes when you're an athlete, uh, you're able to mask the pain of an injury by taking medication. Uh, last week, it was, it was me and vitamin I uh, all, all week. That's, that's ibuprofen. Um, but really, it's, it's not necessarily a good thing because the injury is still underneath. You know, in the same way, we mask um, troubles and our anxiety uh, by running to something that gives us temporary relief. And, but the Lord offers us permanent relief through trusting in Christ alone. That's what he has to offer, not temporary. If you're running to something in this world for relief, for courage, that is all temporary. That will all go away. Now, this leads us to our third and final point. We considered the portrayal of David's courage, the procurement of David's courage. Now, let's look at our third and final point, the products of David's courage. And look at verses 13 and 14 with me. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, this verse means so much for Christians than just being rescued here on earth from your difficulties. Now, Yes, does the Lord provide for us? He provides richly for us. And he does deliver us from our troubles here on earth. Um, but in reality, there are trials that we will all go through that will not lead to our security on earth. There, there are trials that we will not recover from, uh, sickness or accidents or difficult situations where there really is no resolution on earth. And here is a truth from this psalm that we have to hold on to if we want to live as Christians. The earth is not the land of the living. The land of the living is not here. It's, it's elsewhere. Uh, Sir Richard Baker talked about the land of the living. He said this, uh, Alas, what land of the living is this in which there are more dead than living, more under the ground than above it, where the earth is fuller of graves than houses? No, my soul, there is only the land of the living where there is none but the living, where there is a church but no churchyard. A churchyard is a graveyard. Because none dead nor none that can die, where life is not passive, nor death active, where life sits crowned and where death is swallowed up in victory. You know, as believers uh, in Christ, our ultimate hope is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, um, but it's face to face with him in heaven. And that's what's waiting for us. That ought to be our hope. That's what spurs our courage on is that this is not it. 
There's something waiting for me in heaven to see him face to face. Now, the great blessing is God has provided a way for you and I to be there in sending his own son to take the penalty of the sin that we deserve uh, for those who put their faith in confidence and have their courage in him. You know, ultimately, any trial that you have on earth has been designed by God specifically for you to draw you to himself, to woo you to him. That's why we go through difficulties. That's why we go through trials, because you have a loving God that wants to be found by you, that wants you to know him. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting that going through the trial of losing a job uh, three years ago now, you know, at that time, um, seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living was really me getting a job. Like, okay, Lord, I just need a job. And then that would be seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Uh, but what I found is, as I memorized Psalm 27, as I thought about it, um, I found myself, even during that struggle, longing for heaven, strangely enough. And my confidence uh, that I was going to be okay really was a result of not longing for things on earth, but longing to be with him. That's where my confidence was at that season of life. And, and here's the wonderful thing. Why? Uh, because when I called out to Christ in my need, he answered and he rescued me. And he showed me that this is not the land of the living. There's something waiting for you, Terry, elsewhere that's even greater than anything you could imagine here. Now, could it be that the troubles you're facing, you know, the, uh, that cause you to lose courage, are really gifts from God, wooing you to himself, drawing you to himself, so that ultimately would end in you gazing upon the beauty of the Lord uh, with Christ face-to-face -face in heaven. Let's pray.